Hi, I'm Megan Francis. And I'm Dave Kroc. And this is the LifeWork Podcast. In this show, we'll explore what it really takes to build a business while designing a life that matters. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 14 of LifeWork. I'm Megan Francis here with Dave Kroc. Hey, Dave. Hey, everybody. And, so, and Megan. And thanks. <laughs> kind of bypassed me the first time. Oh, you're here time. too. <laughs> yes. Sitting right across from him at his desk um, in our little makeshift studio, where we are going to talk today about finding out what your audience slash customer wants and then building the thing that mm-hmm. they want. Kind of really get down to brass tacks. Um, in episode 13, I talked with Tara Gentili, who is the founder of the Quiet power strategy and she's a business strategist and we touched a lot on this idea of kind of reverse engineering from what the what the end customer really wants and needs and and going backward from there instead of just having what you think is a great idea and trying to shove it down everyone's throats Um, but we also talked about the fact that sometimes in the in the beginning that means you have to go deep rather than wide because you need to really nurture um, your initial customer base and you really kind of need to perfect that idea as well and and going deeper allows you to do that for sure as opposed to the opposite approach which would be just build something you think is awesome expect everyone to buy it yeah and try and market it to every last human on the planet. I believe that it's called the spray and pray approach. Yeah, that's, it doesn't work very well <laughs> no. unless you have a literally unlimited marketing budget. Well, and we talked about that. You know, I think that a lot of times people who are starting businesses think that they're going to be the next Apple or Google or, I don't know, Nerf. Nerf? <laughs> I was just thinking Now we're cooking spray. with gas. <laughs> I was just thinking about spraying and praying and in my head I hadn't you know my, my kids have these yeah. like Nerf has really come a long way they have and their guns now are basically automatic weapons yeah, with so, chambers that hold like 40 right but you know what ends up happening when the kids use those they all get lost right okay so you have to go back and buy more because buy more. they so, spray them all around the house and then those little you know foamy things are just like I can make anything into a metaphor, Dave. So here this we is go. A, this is a brilliant this. strategy. So someone out there should build a business <laughs> that is like a membership thing, where you yeah. you get something every month, and then it literally disappears. Like it just yeah. just dissolves into thin air. Yeah, and then you're required to buy another one to replace it because you're totally addicted. Yeah, for me, those things would be well, Nerf um, gun bullets would be one. Bobby pins. Uh, I've never hung on to a bobby pin for more than a day or two. That would be that would be a brilliant invention yeah. if. A bob, like a, a a little thing you could put on the wall or on your fridge or something that would literally just like call all the bobby pin the, the mothership like a super strong magnet. It's the, the bobby pin mothership. <laughs> if someone created that, they would sell like hotcakes. You know what? People should pay us for all these great ideas that we're generating. However, didn't we just say that it's not enough to have a good idea? I think we alluded to that. This so, is true. Yeah. So let's just pretend that you have just created a magnet. Okay. That is going to attract all the bobby pins all right. around your house. We'll use this as the example. Yeah, this is the example, right? You already know this is a problem because I told you, and any woman who has hair that's in the awkward growing out stage and needs oh, bobby yeah. pins to take care of it will tell you, this mm-hmm. is a real problem. You buy a package of bobby pins and they just disappear. You know they there's vaporize a need. They in literally, front of your face. Hey, they, they don't exist anymore. I've gone through probably 200. They should be in my house somewhere. They're not. I understand if you have cats, it triples the problem. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So... They're gone. You know this is a problem. You know this is a need that that all these people have. So how do you go from here to there? How do you build backward from that ideal customer who's me with the awkward 
growing out hair phase. Sure. Well, you definitely have to understand that someone is in that place, right? So the idea yeah. of understanding the market first, there's a knowledge gap that I think usually happens. So if I if I start saying I'm going to build this thing that I think everyone's going to want and I don't maybe I've got a good sense that people might want yeah. it, but if I don't know the market to begin with, I got to have a lot more resources on my side and a lot of time yeah. to educate the market to get there. Well, most companies don't have that, especially most people starting out. They don't have the resources to market unlimitedly for years and years to convince a market that it should exist. The um, the idea of self-driving cars or, you know, commercial galactic travel, inter- interstellar travel, that there's a lot of capital that's needed, right, to convince a market that they can actually work. But let's look at a couple of different examples of things that we know now as these ubiquitous products that just seem to be designed perfectly, uh, or at least could be designed, have been designed really well, that weren't, they weren't just created out of thin air. The perfect example is the iPhone. Yeah. It wasn't the first smartphone. Smartphones existed well before the iPhone came out, but it changed everything because Apple did a fantastic job of designing something that the people who were looking for smartphones really wanted. And they mm-hmm. really understood a, a, a large segment of the population. And they weren't targeting, let's be honest, they weren't targeting the people that were just looking for features, right? Yeah. Just looking for whiz-bang kinds of things. They were looking for people that wanted the panache of pulling this thing out of your pocket and being able to do all the cool things that the iPhone did. Yeah. Um, and combining their their iPod feature and just the other things that, that kind of came with that. And I think they did a brilliant job of that. But it, <clears throat> they weren't the first to market yeah. So they were building off the idea that had already existed smartphones. Um, another one that actually isn't quite exactly the same thing, but Microsoft, when they first built their Windows product, that whole development came out of essentially a deal that they had to provide the, the operating system for um, the early IBM PCs. Um, they had this opportunity. They went and they actually bought MS-DOS, which wasn't their own product. They didn't develop that. They bought it, they acquired it, and then they used that, that one big, huge deal to kind of launch their company. And then from there on, because they had such a great early head start in a, in a market where people were acquiring this, so they kind of back-ended it, right? So they, they put their product into something that people were already wanting. Yeah. So that's another way to look at it. And yeah. that, they got their whole start from there, and then you just keep learning because they had immense amounts of data from people that were using their products uh, going forward. So two good examples of that, that concept. I'm going to, I'm going to take this back to my bobby pin example because I can't get, I'm fixated now. I can't, my metaphors, I just can't let them go. If the company can be built right here and now, (laughs) let's make (laughs) it happen. We're going to do it. Well, what occurs to me is that, you know, those are, those are two really well-known companies um, and and well-known examples and they're tech. And um, there was already sort of, a mystique built around Apple by the time right. you even got to this point, sure. right? Yep. And and Microsoft, I'm not as familiar with their history, but they already had a solid business in place before, you know, before Windows came along. So let's let's back up to the beginning though. Let's mm-hmm. let's go to some place where you're really just you have an idea and you know there's a market and you know there's a need. But for example, our silly bobby pin idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well probably most people aren't gonna buy a Super strong magnet to hang on their fridge to collect all the bobby pins in their house. Right. Because it would also collect the dog bowl. Sure. And various other items. Paper clips. Items lo- potentially pierced into <laughs> the humans in the house. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So there's a lot of problems with that. But what's great about that idea is that that starts you thinking, okay, that's one solution. 
uh, that one's maybe not going to work. What's another solution that could work? You mentioned a subscription-based thing. Mm-hmm. You could have a subscription-based um, mailing service for lots of little things that oh, get sure. lost. It wouldn't just have to be bobby pins. It could be all your small metal goods. <laughs> it could be earring backs. Those oh. also disappear. Do they? Oh my gosh, they disappear all the time. So we're talking like a small tray here that has bobby pins, earring backs. Just um, yeah, the whatever the that, things are that, that that tend to get lost. That disappear. That disappear. And yeah. for women, there's a lot of little metal objects. Now, as I was thinking about that more, who would you target first? And this is something that you know we can get into when we talk more about uh, like really going deep with an audience. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd probably target places that go through a lot of that stuff, like theaters that have dressing rooms, because they have a ton of bobby pin slash hair pin slash earring back slash other small metal object needs. You could even expand on it then to have like makeup sponges and all this stuff. So I guess what I'm saying is sometimes it's easy to get caught up in that one first idea, right? that one first solution. And then, and then because that solution isn't the right solution to give up on the whole idea. Right. Is there a way to maybe circle back around? Sure. And resolve it. Yeah. Well, you just identified the needs of a particular group of people. Right. And I think that's the key, right? So starting from business is very simple, I think. It's finding out what people want, getting it. It, So finding out what people want and are willing to pay for. Yeah. So what they need, want, and can afford, that kind of concept. Getting that or building that and building it in a way that you can test and improve so that you're constantly delighting that group. And then getting it to people, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's finding out what people want, get it, and give it to them. And if you do, if you do that in a backwards kind of fashion, the if you build it, they will come model. R- I, I rarely see the if you build it, they will come model work if somebody hasn't already found a good idea or, or hasn't really already connected to an audience, right? So where this works really well, or, or an, a concept of starting small, starting from wh- what people really are looking for and proving that, for artists, for creatives, um, there's a great article that's out there. It's by Kevin Kelly. He's the founder of Wired Magazine. It's called 1,000 True Fans. So if you look that up, we'll link to it in the show notes as well. But if you look that up, the premise there is basically an artist can survive, can make a career out of having only 1,000 true fans. And what that, what that definition means is 1,000 people that will buy everything you put out. So you've created for them in such a way that they really want everything that you do. And so, but you can build a career off that. So the same thing can work in building a business, right? So you, if you can find the small number of people that have a a, a consistent problem that you can build the solution for them that just makes them literally unconsciously pull out their wallet, Mm. that, that is the foundation that you can build from because now you can start to learn as much as you can about those people you haven't spent as much money to develop the product. You can probably charge a little bit more because you're creating a premium product for a specified audience and that allows you to then also serve those people really well. I mean, a thousand yeah. people and one person can can do customer service for a thousand people. Right. Right? Yeah. Well, and but wouldn't you say also that um, it's relative? So I know the thousand true fans is a, it's, you know, it's a, it's an idea, yes. but it can be, yeah. it can be tweaked because. Absolutely. You could also have 10 true fans that will buy everything you put out at a much higher price. For sure. And build a successful, thriving business on that. Yep. Um, We were joking before we started recording about having one fan who will buy your $100 million product once. Yes. (laughs) Now, I wouldn't put your eggs in that basket. No. But... (laughs) <laughs> but if you think about it, if you can create the value without spending a hundred million dollars right. to get there, right? That's the trick, right? Right. But it, but it does kind of show you that depending on where your price point is, and so we should probably talk about pricing, right? I sure. mean, where your price point is maybe determines 
how many customers, ideal customers you need to have right off the bat. And if you're talking bobby pins, it's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're talking, you know, super strong magnets that can like suck other people's, I don't know, precious metals out of their houses. Right. And then you can sell it to robbers. <laughs> hey, I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> now we're cooking with gas. <laughs> that is definitely that is definitely an idea. It that is. would be an idea. It would be an idea. Yeah. And it could potentially be quite lucrative because who wouldn't want one of those? Well, this is indeed true. I mean, just walk just go right down the street of the, yeah. the wealthiest neighborhood in your town and, and there's all the valuables. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well and and so the premise here, if you could rephrase for me so that I can work off of it. <laughs> what you can't work off of that? I've lost I've lost <laughs> the premise. Lost the, tra- the train of thought has left the station. Well okay. what I'm what I'm trying to understand now is how legally how legally those items could be somehow yeah, okay, over. so that one, I don't know. That's, I don't, well, that's, that's maybe. not a great example. Maybe. You could maybe sell that to Batman. I think he would find some use for it. Right, right. This but, is using this in crime fighting people. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I guess Tesla. my point is, you know, when we were talking before about the idea of small metal objects and their loss being some being a need, creating a need, if it's truly things that cost, you know, a penny right, each, right. you got to sell that to a lot of people because... I'm not going to see the value. I, I don't really care that much about my bobby pins, frankly. I can buy another pack for $1.89. Right. Um, so unless it was a really reasonably priced or very, very con- – something that added a lot of convenience to my life, I'm not going to really invest in any kind of product that's going to help me there. Yeah. But if the loss was much larger or if the need to find something was much bigger – Or it took longer and was a lot of work. Or it took longer and was a lot of work, then the value goes up. So, for sure. So um, I'm, I'm really kind of – this is a very roundabout way of getting to the point, but I guess what I'm coming back to is when you're pricing, how do you decide how much people need it? Everybody wants stuff, and anybody could put up a lemonade stand right. and sell their lemonade for 25 cents a cup and right. make money. Sure. Not very much money. Right. So how do you get the people who want $25 cups of lemonade? Right. How do you know they're out there? For sure. Well, that, and that's a great point. So to me, it's a building process. The idea of in product development, I'm sure a lot of people that research internet products and informational products um, have heard of the idea of sort of like the, the funnel. You know, you've got in the top of the funnel, it's not like a marketing funnel where you go from leads to prospects to sales to you know revenue, that kind of thing. But the idea that in the top of the funnel, what you want is you want a lot of people consuming free stuff that you yeah. give out, right? So you, what you're doing is you're exchanging some value. So wh- what I'm going to build from here is the idea that to charge more every time, you need to provide more value every time. Mm. So if in the top of this funnel, so to speak, if everyone can imagine a funnel out there, or if you're in your kitchen, if you could pull out a funnel, <laughs> snap a picture of yourself, hashtag it LifeWork Podcast, and post it on Twitter. I like this idea. I will. Li- I don't know what I'll do. I'll give you this this Life Factory bottle that's in front of me. I will literally send this to you. I mean, if you he's, do that. he's been drinking out of it. It's like every time I've it. seen him. But I'll wash it. <laughs> okay. Unless you don't want me to wash it, in which case that's uh, weird. Yeah. Um, no. No. So so the idea of looking at the funnel in the top, what you want is you want to be able to exchange some value to people, where it's easy for them to get. It's valuable to them, and they're willing to exchange their contact information with you, right? The, just right. the the ability to communicate, the, to start a relationship that is very, obviously, it's very surfacey at that point. Well, if along the way, so maybe if there was a, um, I'm, I'm trying to think, in, in old school internet, it would have been enter your email here for right. a special report on how to stop losing your bobby pins. Well, let's say that that was the case, right? So someone enters the email, they get the special report on how to stop losing the bobby pins. And then they get an email three days later that says, actually, 
if you just sign up for the bobby pin delivery service every three months we'll send you a three month supply or six yeah. months or whatever year supply of bobby pins you won't even have to think about it the cats can disappear with them they can just yeah. vaporize in front of your face whatever however bobby pins disappear that can happen you're fine with it because more will show up on the doorstep right so now it becomes a bigger product and a bigger market right you have people that are willing to exchange dollars for that value well what if you're you become as you're able to provide more and more service along the lines of small things that seem to disappear that are a hassle i'm not going to drive to the store just for bobby pins that kind of thing right. but i might pick them up if i'm there kind of thing well if there's more things along those lines that you could we talked about the little pack right yeah. that, that could be developed the survival kit of stuff that just vanishes now that's that's worth a little bit more than just the bobby pins, right? So now you're building more value and you're charging more. Well, all all the way down that funnel, what you're trying to do is you're building fans of what you do. You're building fans of the value that you provide. And theoretically at the way bottom of that funnel, so instead of charging, you know, 100,000 people a dollar, you're charging two people $50,000, right? right? So if you've built enough value that they can you you're the expert in in mysterious stuff that disappears that you can figure this out right and they can spend a week with you on a cruise ship or a week with you on Richard Branson's private island for 50 grand or whatever if you can build the value yeah. people will then exchange more dollars for that so that's kind of the the idea yeah same thing can happen with a business right if you're if it's a brick and mortar business it could it could be that that way too i look at it um and i don't think all places of this market do it but there's a tire shop in our town so they sell tires, right? And they sell, you know, um, upgraded tires and they do brakes and things like that. Well, people in this town know that whenever you have a, a flat tire or a tire that's leaking air or whatever, you can take it in and they'll patch it, mm. but they'll patch it for free. Yeah. And every time I've had, I've done this twice, walk out of this place, you know, get, getting ready to pay. Right. And they say, no, no, it's on us. And you're standing there with your credit right. card. No, no, I want to pay for this. <laughs> this is value you've provided yes. me. And then, but I don't have to. And I walk, I walk out. Okay, good. And then you tell a friend, right? I tell a friend, hey, yeah. that's crazy, right? Yeah. Or, or, hey, no, you know what happened when I don't go over there and pay, go to right. this place. Well, as soon as I need to replace my tires, there's no other place that I'm going to. Of course to. not. I'm going there for the bigger sale because right. they've provided me the value. And what a jerk you'd feel like if you went someplace else and paid right. for a tire and then went back to them to have it patched for free. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the risk they're willing to take. You right. know, they're as yeah. a, as a brick and mortar store, they're saying, here's value. This is, we want to just take care of people in their tire area. Right. Yeah. So, um, so that's one way to, to sort of look at building over time to be able to charge more and more money. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to back up again because I'm, I'm going to hit this, I'm going to hit this bobby pin thing one more time. Okay. Let's pretend... <laughs> We've established that there's a need. Women like me with awkward growing out hair that needs bobby pins every day. My problem is that I keep losing the bobby pins. What if the solution isn't more bobby pins? Okay. What if the solution is better hair? Better hair. A wig. Better styling ideas. Right. A Someone diff- to come into my house and do it for me. And find them and, all? No, and help me and help me come up with new ways to to do hair that don't require bobby pins. You avoiding, see what I'm getting avoiding at. Avoiding the bobby pins. Yeah. Or the new invention that is not the bobby pins. Or the pin. new invention that's not the right, bobby pin. It's right. some kind of weird, you know, clip yeah. that goes on the side of your head. And, the, and they're, the unlosable bobby pin. Yeah. And and if you look back over the years, there have been actually styles have come in and out where headbands are in and, you know, clippy yeah. things are in and whatever. Right. I guess my point is, too, if we're truly starting with the need, you know, bef- how far do you get down one solution's path 
before you back up and say, well, is there another solution I'm not even thinking about? Right. Or are there additional ways? Are there other solutions? Yeah. yeah. Is this, Different levels Is the subscription solution. Bobby Pins the entry level? Right. And then, you know, a new head is the is the second level. Or I guess that would be more like probably the 15th level. Yeah. Head replacement is <laughs> head probably replacement slightly surgery. more expensive. But it, it's, a, it's a membership <laughs> model. You get a new head every month. You can walk around looking like whomever. Yeah. But I mean, there could almost be, there could be the product. There could be a service-based model where you're learning and, and someone's actually teaching you how to do a better job with the head you actually have. And then, you know, if you're just like, screw it. I don't want this head anymore. Yeah. That's I'd, the premium. That's the true premium. I'd like to look different. You can have a different head if you sign up for the email list. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Give it away free. Wheeling and dealing down at the replacement head shop. I may have beat this into the ground no. um, all the way, but I'm just thinking like, to me, that's a great example of of coming at something coming at something with the person in mind, not with your great idea in mind that you feel super precious about and very right. attached to. And that really is the essence of the, right. the, the conversation, right? It's starting from where people are. It's starting from what people actually need. Sometimes they may not really be able to uh, voice that or really be able to say, here is, here is the exact solution and all the specs. And I just wish this existed in the marketplace, Mr. Entrepreneur. It doesn't go that far. You have to be intuitive a little bit, right? right? So you're, you're trying to understand people well enough that you can anticipate what would be a solution that they haven't thought of because they're locked into what can I buy? Yeah. They're locked into what is available for me to get. Um, and so I think that's a great way to look at entrepreneurship. It's, it's this idea of being one step ahead Right. And may, it may be providing a solution people already know exists and you're just going to do it in a different way. Um, Richard Branson and Virgin Virgin um, Brands, what they do is they focus on uh, areas or industries where customer service is kind of stunk or, yeah. you know, the, the service end of it hasn't been the experience hasn't been that great. And so what they try and do is create a better experience around stuff that, that people would actually want. So so the idea of, of starting small is important because what you're trying to do is not spend all of the dollars you possibly could on your building. You're trying to learn. Yeah. You know, the point of a startup is to learn what is going on with somebody, a group of people and how can you continually serve them better? And so taking the time to actually do that and provide high levels of value, high levels of service and listen and learn and iterate and change a little bit. Now you're slowly building these fans that follow you that you can then build more stuff for. To me, that the one of the best things that I like to see in a business is that it's got a following. When it has a following and maybe it's just missing the mark on it's either it's product development or it's service or it's process or it's pricing or other things that can be fixed, that's a great turnaround opportunity. Um, because the, the market is the first thing. I think a lot of times you think of, well, do I need the right team, the right mm. product or the right market? A lot of people focus on the team, which mm. is right. I mean, that's a good way to do it. Um, too many people focus on the product without the team or the market. Um, but I think the the best option really is you've got to have the market first. Yeah. The market has to exist. Then you have to build the team that can follow that process of not just um, railroading over what the customer wants, but finding out what that truly is, then building it. And then the product comes last, right? So the product is the last thing. It, just, it is the solution. It's the, the thing that greases the skids of commerce at that point. So, yeah. Yeah. So same thing can happen. So okay. the bobby pin example, the, I mean, it may not be beat into the ground because there's, that is a, think about that. That is an actual problem that a lot of people experience out there. Yeah. Now, maybe there isn't a, a highly lucrative marketed 
solution to that mm. or maybe there is and you just need a lot of volume to solve that problem yeah but it's, maybe you team up with the people that are already creating the bobby pins right and bring the solution to them is another <laughs> another way you Absolutely. know instead of trying to yeah yeah instead yeah. of trying to do it yourself and start from scratch we talked about that earlier how how do you reach all of the bobby pin wearing women in the world when you're you and maybe one other person or two other people um and there's all there's you know three billion four billion women in the world um Another thing I thought of when you were talking about that is how do you educate? Let's pretend you've decided now you understand the market. You've got this solution for them that's kind of the easy sell. It's like the low-hanging fruit. Sure. Right. It won't take much to get them right. to convince them that they could use like a, a, a tray to throw their bobby pins in or whatever. But what you really have in mind is a better, in your mind, a better solution. Mm-hmm. How do you educate them so that they know that that's available, better, worth the price. Right. I mean, that's the next step, right? Especially if you're trying to go with this deep, deeper, maybe more highly valuable product. Right. Well, and then that becomes, like we talked about last week on the show, the odds, playing the odds. The yeah. odds are, can I spend money that I can afford to convince the market that this is what they want? Yeah. And I, you see this a lot on the, the show Shark Tank, when people come in with an idea that they're, that they're saying, this is different, the market will want this. And you, you see the sharks go and beat that thing up because, well, this co- other company could just jump in and mirror exactly what you're doing. It's nothing special about your yeah. different solution. Or, you know, the market has been doing this and is very happy with this for a long time. Why would they jump over to your solution that, that, that is marginally better? You know, that's where the idea of having something that is demonstrably better, that really provides more value. But then the, the challenge becomes selling it. Yeah. So that's why I think a lot of, especially product-based things, end up doing infomercials and end up doing stuff like QVC and those yeah. other those other avenues because you need to get it in front of a lot of people demonstrated how it can be better. Um, and that's why that, that, that avenue of marketing actually works. That's why infomercials are still on TV. You yeah. know, we all roll our eyes. I watch the, them. We've talked about this. Right. <laughs> the, the, the whole concept yeah. of, you know, for 1995, but wait, there's a second one we'll throw in. Yeah. And this extra little accessory, right? If you call right now, blah, blah, blah. That kind of thing. That, the reason why those words are repeated over and over and over again is because they work. Yeah. The reason why those things exist, QVC and infomercials, why they exist is because they work. And and what they work really well for, I think, is that exact problem. Taking something that is kind of new, that would be a solution that would that people probably would want if enough people knew about it, but they're usually items that are lower priced in the in the market so that you can you have to create a lot of volume. But then it's also not that difficult. it's not like saying, Hey, there's this new way to solve your bobby pin problem, it's gonna cost five hundred dollars. Right. But maybe it costs nineteen ninety five, yeah, and you never have that problem again. It's a low barrier to entry, absolutely. And also, I think one thing that infomercials do really well, um, and while I I will still watch them sometimes, is they add either entertainment value mm-hmm. to advertising or emotional sure. uh, response or both. Right, and it's very effective. Absolutely, it's good TV sometimes. Absolutely, I've watched more infomercials than I. Should probably admit to, but think about <laughs> think about the times when you have. Yeah. What what was there was an entertainment value to it a little yes. bit, right? It's, yeah, that would be the Time Life uh, uh, Soft Rock from the seventies collection, which I watched Air Supply host probably on a loop like three times. Wow! Like, I watched the entire thing. <laughs> just like a sick day, like no, I stayed up really late with my brother, Vicodin. and I, we just watched it over and over because every song that would come out, we're like, "That's a great song." <laughs> That's a great song. They have you How did I out? forget about that song? Oh, yeah. We watched it all the way to the end. And we're like, let's watch it again. I mean, it was kind of a silly night. We had nothing else going on. But we did watch it 
And right. had I still owned a CD player at that time, which sure. I haven't for a while, I would have I would have purchased it for sure. I mean, now it's a little bit of a, you know, now I can just jump on Spotify and I have my own soft rock from the 70s playlist. Right. right. Um, but, you know, probably, I bet you Spotify and other streaming services has found a way to piggyback mm-hmm. off that idea. They create new playlists all the time. Right. And they're usually exactly the kind of stuff I would have picked myself. So it's kind of like a, yeah. you know, a takeoff on that, yeah. on that idea. Well, I think a lot of people look at marketers in a, in a way that's, oh, that's creepy. They knew yeah. what I wanted already, right? Or I did this one search on the web and the next thing you know, every social media site I go to is showing me ads for exactly that same thing. Well, it's it's because that stuff works. I mean, yeah. it's the reality is that's, if you look at it through the, the eyes of an entrepreneur for your business, that's one way that if you can find out who people are, find out the characteristics about you and your brother that are sitting there watching TV at 1am yeah. or whatever that was that, that you can then target really well. Yes. And so that, so the idea of going deep and targeted versus going gunshot billboard national TV, Super Bowl commercial, that difference I think is, is what creates a lot more opportunity in today's world than yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. Because if you did have a product that might be, there might be a low amount of people or a smaller group of people that would really enjoy it, it was so much harder to find those people and so expensive to reach yes. them. Yeah. Whereas now through, tar- look at Facebook targeting, right? Yeah. I'm able to really, really, really zero in on the person, their age group, their income, the, what blogs they read, what where they live and, and what behaviors they have that lead to the best the best customers of one of my businesses. So I do that. And I spent a lot less money to reach a very targeted group. Did you hear that Facebook actually had to come out with a statement saying, no, we are not listening to you through your phone microphone and creating ads based on that? And I, I really am not paranoid about marketing. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of one of those people who I'm like, privacy, eh, I'll right. take some, but I don't mind having ads served to me. It's fine. Right. I just wish they didn't serve me ads for stuff I've already bought. That's annoying. But mm-hmm. whatever. Um, it's been It's happened to me several times lately where I've gotten on Facebook and I've just seen like an ad for something I was just talking about out loud, like to someone else in the room yes. out loud. Yes. And there have been a couple moments where I've been like, what? I don't really think they're listening in on my microphone. Right. However, it's again, like what you're saying, they know me so well. It's not really about the words I just said out loud. It's the fact that the people that I hang out with in real life tend to be the same people that I'm friends with on Facebook. And maybe they searched for something and then it got, tied to me or you know they just know me because they know what i'd be talking about person of my age and my geographic area and everything else they and income level they know about what i'd be talking about it's they're smarter than that they don't need to listen in you know yeah 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 well and some of it also is understanding like being able to to follow so human behavior is is a very interesting thing And, Mm. and the way that people behave can end up being fairly predictable um, and if you understand those, the, how humans behave and you understand what humans want and you understand, especially a group of people in that same way, that it's so much easier to, to understand where they're going to be in, in a couple of years, right? Or if all of these things hold true, these right. technological changes or whatever, that likely this is going to happen, you know, there's actually the, we talked about Kevin Kelly earlier, earlier, the author of uh, 1000 True Fans. He's got a new book that's coming out literally tomorrow, although this will air, by the time this airs, uh, it will be available. It's called The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future. Um, I bought it because I think it's a really, from what I've seen and the people that are reviewing it already, it seems like it's going to be a pretty good indicator as 
as you know stuff that's already in process that if you just follow it through to its conclusion provided all of human nature does not change right in the next few years this is probably what's going to happen in these areas and that's one way that you can really start to in, in a way see the future yeah. if you, with your market right if you understand your market really well and you can understand the forces that are in play you can then try and say well i'm going to predict out here that this might be something people would want mm-hmm. and then maybe i'll take a portion of my product development budget or whatever and maybe test some things out there um, and that's another thing with that about what's great about the internet these days is you can actually test product ideas before they even physically exist. Yeah. You know, through headlines and yeah, through yeah, yeah. social media and stuff like that. So, um, good way yeah. to, good way to get out there ahead of the, ahead of the curve. Um, that actually brings me back to another thing that Tara and I talked about, um, in episode 13 and that was, you know, we talked about building cohesion around your big idea or big ideas mm-hmm. and the products and services that you're creating around them and how a lot of entrepreneurs just kind of jump from thing to thing because they're trying to generate quick income or right. yes or they are trying to spread the risk around or you know they or they they've heard they need to diversify and all this and and she really you should really listen to that episode everyone listening because um she really kind of gets down into why those can be traps those things can be traps and often what ends up happening is you dilute your efforts and you don't hold on you don't hang in there with any one thing long enough mm-hmm. to see if it's going to work. So, right. you know, you kind of test something out, but you don't really go for it. You hold back and then you say, oh, that failed and you move on to the next, the next idea. Oh yeah. Um, instead of even, instead of even just moving on to another solution within one idea, you actually move, lots of people just move on to a completely new idea. Right. That didn't work. That didn't work. Yeah. And now I'm moving on to something like a new market, a new, everything, a new concept. Um, so she was really saying, you know, you really have to, start small her i think she calls it her living room approach where mm-hmm. fill a, a living room with people that you can get to buy into your idea yeah and then stick it out because it's going to take several several iterations maybe you're going to launch something and the first launch is whatever and the second launch is disappointing and then you give up but that third launch would have been the one absolutely that made it because you're learning more and more about yeah. the the reaction to the first launches, the the market that you're serving, the people in the living room, right? Yeah. Next thing you know, it's the whole house, right? right. There's people in the house, and you're actually building stuff they want. We, we we've talked in the past about the idea of pivoting. We've had yeah. that that specific sh- subject in the show. So if you go back and, and research that in the um, in the listing of uh, in your podcast app, you can actually find that episode where we talked about that. One example we gave, whether it was in that show or previously, was actually YouTube. Yeah. The idea that YouTube did not start out as the video sharing service that it is. It started yeah. out as a video dating site. Right. And eventually they they realized this is not the market. This is not going to work. They could have just given up right there. Yeah. Right. But they didn't. They pivoted to the thing that they were seeing was working, that people were wanting to share the videos online. Right. And they developed that out as what it was. And I mean, how much did they sell to Google for? I mean, it was... I think billions. Yeah. So that 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 near miss or that near give up actually ended up turning into YouTube. So Yeah. Well, and it feels like there's there's two things happening here. There's the understanding your market before you even launch your product. Um and understanding what what's what need you're filling, what problem you're solving. But then verifying that which is which is at the beginning it's kind of a guess in some ways i mean it's an educated guess yeah but you're still guessing you the proof's not really in the pudding you know the proof is in the pudding the proof isn't there until you make the pudding until you make the pudding well and that's that's (laughs) that's just it so let's talk more about pudding let's talk about pudding we've gone so bobby pins pudding uh what else have we covered in this episode quite a quite a long a long range uh youtube and and other things so yeah so the proof is in the pudding so understanding your market first 
but then getting started. Yeah. And, and that's where I think a lot of people get hung up on. I've got to build the perfect thing before I get started because I don't want to lose money. I don't want to miss. I don't want to. Yeah. All that, that sort of stuff. But you don't really find that quote unquote product market fit, which is the thing that all that we're all after. Right. Yeah. If you don't have something the market can test, the market can consume and try and whatever. Yes. So that's another vote for starting small because you want to do both. You want to you want to know your market well enough before you just say, I'm going to I'm going to build, I don't know. $200,000 cars for yes. people that are on food stamps, right? It, it doesn't, you're, you're missing, you, you have yeah. a sense, but it's probably not going to work or vice versa, right? I'm going to build, I'm going to build literally disposable cars for people that have $2 million a year in income. You know, yeah. the, the, the difference is, is understanding the market first, but then also getting started. So getting started in a way, like you talked about with Tara, getting started in a way that you can test, you can pivot. And you're not, you haven't bet the whole company. You don't have right. this entire behemoth that is, that is every, the cognitive bias of following the decision we made in the past, just because we're, we believe in it. And I, I have to make a decision that's consistent with that. Cause that's what the whole company's built on. You, that's not a good way to approach it. So if you yeah. start small enough, you can, you can maneuver that in a nimble fashion. And then you can get to the place where you, then you pivot, then you pivot and your online dating site then becomes YouTube. I want to talk a little bit about minimum viable product sure. because I've had a very hard time. That's something that I'm working on in my self-improvement and business improvement <laughs> um, efforts. But I've had a very hard time in the past putting out what I cr considered a minimal, minimum viable product because I thought, well, that's not good enough. I need to solve all the problems. Right. I need to do it in the most comprehensive way. I need to help all of the people. And not only do I, am I going to help all the people, they're all going to love me. And they're going to say at the end of the day, gosh, that Megan, she really... Just, That's amazing. She's awesome and she solved every single problem and um, now I never need to buy anything else from her again, which by the way, you see how you can kind of sure. like talk yourself out of or yeah. almost sell yourself out of future. You can create yourself out of yeah. future business. Yeah. So I'm, I've, what I've realized over a lot of trial and error and trying to reach these huge markets of like national audiences with the one thing that I think will solve everyone's problems is that most people aren't even really ready to have all of their problems solved. Right. Most people really just want something small Yeah. that they can put into effect right now. And they might even come back and want that exact same thing again later. Like yep. they might want you to solve a problem today and then they might want you to solve that same problem in three months because they didn't quite solve it all the way. And sure. people take a long time to change. So I think that that's something I've learned over the years is this idea that if you're a real, real perfectionist about it and you're really clamping down on this idea that that's not good enough, like it really is because most people aren't really even ready for more than that. And and thinking mm -hmm. about myself, I'm not. When I go to Target, I mean, yeah, I'd like it if I had, could buy something like the dress of my dreams, but I'm in Target. So that's probably not going to happen. Instead, right. It's not a whole makeover. Right. It's, Instead, it's, it's good enough to get a dress that's reasonably cute that works for the price and that I can wear to the party I'm going to tonight. Yep. Um, and that's, you know kind of a, again, a fa fashion-based metaphor, but I think that that it's hard sometimes to wrap your brain around that, especially when you really care about the people you're serving. Or you really care about the product you're building. Or you really care about the product you're creating. This dress will change your life. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, I don't know, Dave, how have you handled that? Because I think that you've been a lot more pragmatic in your business life about deciding what to jump on and when to get it to market. Yeah, and I think I've grown more pragmatic as I've, I've okay. gotten, um, I'd say I'd say older, but it's basically it's 10 years of, of time. So, so more experienced, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's go back to the example that you gave where you're, you're building this perfect thing and you think everyone's going to love you and you have to wait till it's, it's got to be ready. Yeah. I think a lot of people think it's not ready yet. Yeah. Well, what is ready? 
<laughs> look look at the magazine covers of all of the the business and entrepreneurship magazines and all, the the face on there that the people are lauding is the neck is the greatest the Elon Musks and mm. the Richard Bransons and the those people that are that are on these magazines right Elon Musk's stuff I mean they had the, if they didn't have PayPal he wouldn't be where he is now right they didn't have PayPal because it was the perfect product out of the gate they pivoted that thing a ton of times oh man I had PayPal the first day it came out and let me tell you. Was not perfect. Yeah, no, they, but they <laughs> it were learning. Did anything really? But, but they learned fast. <laughs> yeah, and it's still out there now. Yeah, I mean, it's still it's still going right. So, but but the same thing with Richard Branson, right? So first thing he did was start a school newspaper, and the people told him he couldn't do it. So he just kind of started and figured it out and provided yeah. things people wanted and had the the Beatles were in his school newspaper, right? He got interviews with with major names because he he hustled and got it done. But he didn't go and start the airline. Right. And you didn't you don't see Richard Branson, the guy that literally started more than 400 companies. He didn't start there and he didn't start with each one of those things with the fully developed perfect solution. That's the myth. Right. It just doesn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. And I think many people that are inexperienced in business or or who've had experiences that have worked the first few times that they've started Mm -hmm. out think that that's how it is. And it's it's not usually it's not usually. So it's it's this process of you you can't overcommit all the resources that you have. So if you've got, so the eggs in the basket metaphor, right? Yeah. So if you've got 12 eggs, let's say a dozen eggs you can put in in a basket or in a product that you're going to launch. Do you put all 12 in the first time you go out the door, right? Think about that. If PayPal had built their product with all the bullets in the gun and all of the resources and all the money right there, they couldn't have survived long enough to pivot to where they got to the product that worked. Yeah. And that's the process that you're looking for. It's, you know, you're, you're trying to, when you're raising money, especially as an early business, you're trying to get to that next major milestone, right? You're trying to prove. So that's why you see small grants given out by um, incubators and things like that for people that earn small, whether it's $5,000 or $50,000, just to get people to a certain point. And then, of course, that incubator or that VC or whatever has the right to invest more money. Yeah. But they've got more money waiting to invest at that next stage. So you try and prove each each milestone. You try and prove each thing. So if you're going out there and you're doing it all yourself, right, you've got your, your own money into it. Or it doesn't take that much money and you plan on just bootstrapping. The process is developing these true fans, the living room full of people that are going to keep buying what mm. you want. And then really serving them so that you can then bootstrap to the next level. You can think about that next thing that people are going to want. So you get to the, 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 the stage where you maybe now you spend a little bit more money because you're more confident in what people are looking for and that yeah. you can, you're more confident in your ability to match your product development with the fit of what the market's looking for. Yeah. So for me personally, like I've done this with, with brick and mortar stuff, mm-hmm. which is, that's scary. Yeah, <laughs> you're, I can imagine. You're stuck with a building or you're right. stuck with lots of equipment or whatever. And, and the idea is you, you need to be able to work your way backwards, right? So we talked last week about risk management, working your way out of things. Well, I'll use, I keep talking about Richard Branson, but this, I just keep thinking of ideas. Last week we talked about, he started Virgin Airways, the airline, with a deal with Boeing for their first plane, whereby if at the end of the first year it didn't work, he could give the plane back. So he limited the eggs in the basket. He limited, he he went to that process. It really wasn't any of his own eggs. Not much. Not many eggs. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, I mean, and for the company that they had, it was Virgin Records, they would have lost, if, if it had gone bad, they could have cut things off and they would have lost six months of profits, which for a business is a big, it's kind of a big deal, but it's not everything, right? right. It's not existential 
um, catastrophe at that point. So the process was he was able to do that, limit the the risk involved, test what the market was looking for, test that they could provide that solution that people would wanted would want and then if it worked they continue or if they had to pivot they would pivot and they were able to do that they were able to continue and grow and and now that airline exists and that's um that episode is episode 12 by the way yes risk risk, risk. management and one of my risks. favorite episodes so far yeah and me I, too that was a really fun one and yeah very meaty yeah yeah we went pretty deep on that subject yeah we did so so then what is our takeaway we've we've covered a lot uh we've covered a lot today but i think it all and oh and one more thing i was actually going to say about paypal as an example is that's also a great example of them knowing the market when they got in and then understanding how different the market is now. Because when PayPal first got started, um, it was huge in the online auction right. community. This was like the late 90s, maybe 98, mm-hmm. something like that when it came out. Um, I only really knew about it because I was buying, believe it or not, a lot of cloth diapers on online auction sites. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing in those days. Um and everyone was starting to use PayPal because no one wanted to mail a check. And most people right. didn't want to process credit cards when they were, you know, selling off, like auctioning off their baby's used clothes and stuff like that. But since then, now you can see that there's a huge like credit card model behind it and all that kind of thing. And, and it's you can use it almost anywhere to make retail purchases. I don't know that 15, 20 years ago, I don't know that anyone would even ever have thought like when they were buying there's you know, something at whatever website they were at. Unless mm-hmm. it was like Amazon where they were already kind of primed to be used to online yeah. um, transactions. If it was just some regular old website that they were taking a chance on using, would they have used PayPal to do? I don't know. Like my dad, would my dad have used PayPal? Right. I don't think so in yeah. those days. Yeah. That's, but, a, that's a really good example of you're, you're introducing a whole new way of looking at it, right? Yeah. You're, you're, I guess in the way, at the same time, people were trying to prove to the market that you could put your payment information in online and could right. be trusted. So people were doing that anyway. Right, that's true. And so now, so what they did is they piggybacked off of that and now you've got a third party, right? So now yeah. you're trusting, I can trust this one company and then I can put in my contact information or my, you know, my login information on other yeah. sites and then those other sites, if they utilize that as a payment service, I wasn't exposing my payment information to those other sites which right. may or may not be fly by night or whatever right. right so they so paypal was was saying we're reputational right we're building we're the trust source you can yeah. just give your stuff give your payment information to us once and then when you go on ebay or wherever else yeah. you can do that it, cool example on that same point which just happened a friend of mine um had their hulu account hacked okay so they go into their profile and some other name is there right so somebody had hacked their hulu account Probably Seems just, like an interesting thing to hack. Like, I, I think know, I think this actually happens pretty often because <laughs> okay. because people hack it and then they get to watch free stuff. Right? Oh yeah, okay. So yeah. I guess maybe that's maybe there's more to the the picture than that. Maybe there's some bigger nefarious kind of thing that's happening. But they had used PayPal to connect to their account, so okay. all they had to do to fix that whole situation was just change change the change password. Their password, you know, yeah. something a little bit tougher to hack. Yeah, and their payment information wasn't exposed. Nothing was exposed like that. So, so that product, that PayPal way back when, still is providing some value today in that same sense. So, yeah, but had PayPal jumped in in 1998 or whatever, I think it was 98, and yeah. and said, "We're going to go full hog. We're going to try to sell credit services. We're going to try to be the one." payment you know service everyone online uses and tried to hit the whole market at once and built their entire company to around do that, that. Yeah. they would have failed miserably and they wouldn't have given i guess i mean i i guess i can't say for sure but i'm gonna i'm gonna go out on a limb and say i don't think it would have flown then um they wouldn't have had the chance to build slowly that reputation as well there was right. a decade of educating yep. people 
that this is how it works and that the name PayPal is trustworthy. Yep. Before that that transition really could have happened or that acceptance on Absolutely. mass scale. Yeah, and it led to billions in wealth, right? right. So once that was sold, you, you look back at the who's who of people that are in the tech world today that came from that company and that group as they sold it and went off, you know, Peter yeah. Thiel and, and Elon Musk and, and more. So just the, the, whole, the whole group that came from that, they did it right. Yeah. They did it right in the sense that they didn't do it right from the start. Right. Right? right. That doesn't mean they got the product right day one. Yeah. It means that they... Uh, did the process right so that they were able to develop the product that people were eventually looking for, pivot to it, get there without spending all the cash yeah. and be able to to do what they did. And probably there's some company called like Cash Friend that we're not talking about now. Right. Who who raised $2 million in VC funds <laughs> right. and, and burned through it in six yes. months. And yeah. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. And now they're, you know, working for somewhere else yeah wishing <laughs> wondering what might have been. So that's, so I guess that's a picture we're developing, right? So right. don't be flipping burgers. Be Elon Musk. <laughs> right? This is how you do and, it. And, and scene. scene. <laughs> now we're cooking with Because it, it's, it's just that easy. <laughs> Business is just that easy, folks. All we needed to do was create 14 episodes, and now we're, we're done. We've, so we have solved business. <laughs> no, no. But, so that, but it's a process, right? And you yeah. might fail. But the key is to reduce the risk if you do, right? Yes. And you learn so much doing this that, I mean, think about it. If you, if you try and fail 10 times and you've only burned through a small amount of money and you've learned a lot about the process of how to build a business, don't you think the 11th and 12th and 15th and 20th time, you've got a good shot yeah. at building something that is really going to get you to where you want to go? Yeah. It's playing the long game. So maybe it will take three or four tries. But if you if you are really focused on the market and serving them well and developing things they want and taking their feedback, they're going to love you because they're, the idea that you're building for them and they can participate in that is actually going to help strengthen that fan base. And so now you have that freedom to do what you need to do to, bu- to build. And, and I think the internet is a great place to do that because it's very cheap to, yeah, to, to exactly. build products. So. And then we've kind of covered all the, di- yeah. the, the ways that are available to us now to market that weren't before. Yeah. So to sum up... <sighs> The idea of building what people want involves getting to know what people want mm-hmm. and then working backwards to build the thing that delights them. And be willing and being willing to take, you know, some chances on that and maybe changing things and pivoting. Absolutely. When it turns out your first guess wasn't quite right or your first iteration Absolutely. wasn't and, quite right. And you can't fool yourself into thinking that you have the answer or that you the, the solution you start with from the beginning is the answer if the market is telling you that it might be different. Right. Because you've got to be able to be willing to say, okay, well, maybe that wasn't right, but here's what was right about it and here's what we can change. So that the don't have the hubris, you know, have right. that humbleness to, to make those changes. And don't invest too many eggs in the meantime because you might need those eggs. Especially if you're starting a bobby pin business. <laughs> We're mixing bobby pins and eggs now. It's getting really messy in here. I think we need to wrap this one up. Um, everybody, if you are loving loving and listening to this show or listening to this show and just kind of liking it or, you know, whatever your feelings are about the show, we want to know. So please. Or if head, you hate it, but you, you really kind of want to watch the train wreck. <laughs> Either way, well, if you hate it, just keep listening and, you know, see what happens. But um, we would actually love to hear from you. Please go check us out on iTunes and leave us a rating or review. That really does help us know how we can better serve you in the future. You can also go to lifeworkpodcast.com and leave a comment on any of the show notes. Um, We also put uh, resources and some discussion points in all of our show notes. So they're a good thing to check out anyway. And also you can email us at hello at lifeworkpodcast.com. All right. We'll see you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Life Work Podcast. Build your business and design your life with us every day, Monday through Friday. And find us at lifeworkpodcast.com.